Paul's letter to the Colossians. We read these words by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the words of God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come now to this holy moment. We sit under your word. We hear what you have prepared for your church. You have provided it in the scriptures without error and with the full authority that you possess. It is God's word. And you have provided it for us through your son out of grace and mercy and perfect love. It has been given to us for our profit, for our equipping, for us becoming more and more like your Son. It has been given to us to protect us from error and deceit and from losing our way. And so, Father, we pray your Spirit open our ears and make our hearts lean in to receive this word today. I pray, Father, for myself as I preach, that you would anoint me by your Spirit, that I would proclaim faithfully and clearly and accurately your word. Protect me, Father, from my own opinions and make what is preached today holy and true and good. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. So it has been a couple weeks since uh, I have been up here in the pulpit, and I do appreciate very much the the break that you uh, gave me and, and my wife. And uh, we went to General Assembly, and I can tell you uh, as I went to General Assembly, uh, how pleased I was in the fact that it was very uneventful. Uh, our denomination uh, met together on the common conviction of God's word and the gospel. 
and we had nothing put in front of us that divided us or that came close or that was rancorous. Everything that uh, proceeded was, as Presbyterians like, in order and without much contention. I believe we uh, are part of a very healthy denomination, and we are partnered with very godly churches that uh, pleases me. I also got to hear a couple addresses from Andrew Brunson, the pastor who was imprisoned in Turkey for two years, and uh, I am going to work at figuring out a way that I can share those those presentations from Andrew Brunson because I uh, they, they made a major impact upon my my faith, and I want to share them with you. I think they are prophetic. But now we are back uh, to Colossians. We've been in Colossians for uh, several months now, and uh, uh, just to remind you of, of the main message of Colossians, in case it has been confusing, it is this three-word phrase, Jesus is enough. And we have been focused on every single paragraph that Paul has written to this uh, small church in Asia Minor to remind them as they get enticed by different thoughts and different philosophies to forsake that and trust in all ways and circumstances, Jesus is enough. And this week we come to probably the, the most dense-packed verses of what the commentators call the Colossian heresy. They call it the Colossian heresy because it happened in the town of Colossae, and we don't know much more about it than that. So it's, it's, it's vague, it's a bit uh, mysterious exactly what was being uh, taught in Colossae. All we have is one side of this conversation written by Paul. But as we look at the verses, we can see some, some definite uh, errors that were occurring, some, some belief systems that were being brought into the Colossians, who had been preached the gospel, that you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, full stop. And yet there were people in the community who had a, a Jewish background and who had immersed themselves in some of the pagan beliefs of the, the culture around them and were suggesting various ways to take that message and amp it up and improve it. And throw a little extra uh, jingle to it, a little extra frill. Something that would heighten their religious experience or their spiritual connection. Some way to, to improve and make it better, to make it new. In, in uh, short, what we have from these false teachers is the age-old practice of marketing. Marketing a false product. And that's why our sermon today is titled Snake Oil. I don't know if you, uh, how many of you are familiar with the concept of snake oil, but it goes back to the old western days where some proprietor would, would come with a, a bunch of jars of special elixir to a, to a, a, a town on the, on the Pioneer Trail and, and say that this elixir is going gonna, is gonna to take away your back pain, it's going to improve your marriage, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spice up all of your life. You, just, you need to add some of this uh, 100% uh, pure snake oil or whatever content they would put into it. It would, it would uh, bring newness and improvement to your life. And so they would sell it, and they would take it, and they would use it, and the effects were always overstated. Well, that's essentially what is happening here in Colossae. There are a group of false teachers that are selling a form of snake oil Christianity, 
a new and improved Christianity, something that will take their faith and really enrich it, bolster it, and make it even better. And I want to tell you that the, 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 the snake oil salesmen in Christianity are not gone. They are not just a rep, uh, representatives in Colossae. They exist today. I was personally troubled when uh, David listed the ten most popular, most sold books to Christians two weeks ago. And I would say that a vast majority of those are snake oil. They are a me-centered, I-can-not-he-can view of religion. And that's what's being sold. And so I think it is very important that we pay attention to what the snake oil looks like and sounds like so that we don't buy it. Because when you buy it, you bring all kinds of trouble upon you, as we will see in our text today. I also recognize that snake oil is sold to Christians because I think especially us in, in America are just wanting more. Wherever we go, we, we want new and improved. We are a, a heavily marketed and commercialized people. And we have seen, you know, my toothpaste gets better, my deodorant gets better, my car gets better. And so when marketing comes to faith, sometimes we think, well, maybe there's more out there. It preys upon our insecurity. Are we, are we sure that, that we have enough? The snake oil plays on our on our envy. I mean, we, we look at other people's lives. We, we see they're, they're Christian and, and we say, my goodness, how come they have all of this and this and this? What, what do I need to add to my faith to import all of these other worldly pleasures that apparently he's getting with his faith or she's having with her faith and I'm not? And so when advertisements for a little newness and a little improvement to your Christianity comes out, we find ourselves quite susceptible. But today we are going to see the falseness of snake oil. And we are going to see that what we have in Christ is always better and always complete. We're going to look at this passage under three headings. We're going to look at the snake oil, the extras that are promoted to make our faith even better. We're then going to look at how these extras do not improve our faith. And finally, we're going to see why we don't need the extras. And we're going to proceed with that in, in order. First of all, let's, let's look at what the snake oil looks like. What are the extras promoted to make our faith even better? In Paul's passage, I think we can see three extras that are being promoted. The first is being extra religious. Being extra religious. Look at verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You see, these false teachers, these snake oil salesmen, have come into Colossae and they're offering a new and improved religious experience by suggesting that to the gospel, why don't you add some of those great, dependable, reliable, enjoyable 
festivals and Sabbaths and traditions from the Old Testament. Why don't you drop a little Leviticus into your Sunday morning? Just make it all the more better because it's all good, right? The, the idea behind these, uh, uh, these food and drink and festival and new moon and Sabbath is that they, they come from a, a religious mindset. And the whole idea of a, of, a, of a religion is that they are beliefs and practices that we take on to be more devout and, and to be more godly. And so if, if Christianity gets you a baseline of, of being devout and, and godly, well, why don't we throw a little extra and add some more practices that, that we remember from, from the Old Testament to our mix, and we can, uh, we, we can elevate our religious experience. And so they are promoting being extra religious. Now, I understand that... Um, some of these seem a little bit old-fashioned and maybe too far in the past to, to relate to. You're, you're not really thinking about new moon festivals and, and food and drinks. So I have decided in our modern commercialized culture to write some commercials that would modernize some of these snake oils. So if you would, permit me to share with you a commercial for the extra-religious Is church not delivering the experience you desire? Do you feel like worship is is missing something? Are you having a hard time enjoying worship because no one around you seems to care as much as you do? Well, we have the product for you. Make your worship experience new and improved with extra religiousness. What do you get with our product? Glad you asked. You get all the tools you need to show people how they should be worshiping. We have ancient liturgy books. We have uncontextualized quotes from your favorite theologians. We have super trendy blogs you can cite to argue against any song or worship style you don't like. We have an app on your phone designed to ping you whenever the worship service does not meet your criteria. And easy-to-memorize phrases you can use to turn any conversation toward your deeply held opinions about how worship should be done. Practice this product of extra-religiousness, and we guarantee that in just a few short weeks, you will be known by all as the most devout and godly worship person in your church. So that's extra-religiousness. Being extra-spiritual is the second one that Paul warns. Look down at verse 18. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So, either together with the other one or to a different group of people, it's, it's hard to tell, these uh, snake oil salesmen were coming in and putting on an incredible demonstration of their heightened, elevated spirituality. They were promoting extra spiritual exercises to promote the worship experience, uh, extreme self-denial, asceticism, channeling angels to worship either alongside them or to worship them as objects. 
and religious revelations, visions of, of amazing things that, 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 that they would share and promote as, I have seen things that no one else has seen. And you too can have these experiences through asceticism and, and worship of angels. You see, you need to be extra spiritual. Okay, maybe we don't see it quite the same way today, but how might a modern commercial advertise being extra spiritual? Here's another commercial. Is reading your Bible, prayer, and going to church feeling irrelevant to your spiritual needs? Would you prefer a more individualized and private worship experience? Are you seeking a shortcut to connecting to the divine? Great news. There is. It's called your imagination. Or, as our marketing team prefers, extra spiritual. With extra spiritual, we will teach you all you need to have experiences that feel so real and even make other people look at you with amazement. We'll teach you what you really need to experience that higher power. You don't need a Bible or the church. You can do it on the golf course or or fishing or out alone with nature. You'll love how it feels so right. We'll also teach you how you can hear voices, how to act a, a little spooky in your small group, and how to make sure you never forget to include pound blessed on all your social media posts. Practice this product of extra spiritual, and you'll have all people around you wanting to be just like you. Third, the third snake oil salesman comes along, and we see them promoting being extra scrupulous. Extra scrupulous. Look again at verses... uh, 20 to 22. I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 20. Uh, It says, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. So here we see that there's another practice going on of of being uh, denying of things, adding rules and, and regulations. Do not do this, do not do that, do not do this. And that will be the path to greater spiritual experience. Uh, They obviously were thinking, well, if if, uh, Christ is is great, then being even more good has got to be even better. And so let's add some more rules that we can check off the box. I have a third commercial. You want to hear the third commercial for the extra scrupulous? Are you just not feeling good about yourself when you read the Bible? Is the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor just more than you can handle? Would you like a quick and easy way to know in your heart that you really are a good person? You are in luck. We have just the product for you. It's called Extra Scrupulous. Basically, all you have to do is follow the rules you make up. With Extra Scrupulous, you will learn how to take the things you already don't do And make yourself feel extra good about yourself for not doing them. All you have to do is master the word don't. 
Try it with a few phrases. I don't drink that. I don't go to the movies. I don't eat food like that. I don't waste money like that. Anywhere God has made us free, you can make sure everyone knows you don't. Pretty soon you will feel pretty good about yourself. And the best part, you didn't have to change a thing. So those are the three snake oils. Being extra religious, being extra spiritual, being extra scrupulous. But here's the thing. As I hope my super smart congregation is gathering All of those are falsehoods and lead nowhere. But let us look at detail, because Paul always gives us some detail, why the extras do not improve our faith. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was struck by one of the the modern-day prophets of our age, uh, H. Simpson, who uh, provides for us, I think, an, an, an absolutely amazing illustration of what it looks like to, to go after something that you don't need. Can we play uh, H. Simpson's experience? All right, for the non-visuals, for the non-visuals, Homer goes into a daydream about the land of chocolate, and uh, he can eat anything, he can enjoy anything in the land of chocolate, and he is most drawn to the chocolate shop with the sign 50% off all the chocolate. That, to me, is the image of the snake oil salesman trying to get you to add being extra religious, extra spiritual, extra scrupulous to your faith. The extras are like the chocolate shop saying, buy, when it's already been given to you. Just just turn around. And here's what I want you to get. I I, I am sure uh, getting to see a a Simpsons clip in a sermon may just uh, uh, offend the extra religious in the room. (laughs) But, here's what I want you to think about. The extras make us homers, not heroes. The extras make us homers, not heroes. I want us to see that in the text. There are three ways. First of all, the extras are powerless. Second, they are counterproductive. And third, they are destructive. Let's look at... What I mean when I say they are powerless, these extras are powerless. When we look at verse 23, we are told this, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is telling you that all these extras that you want to add to your faith, the the extra religious, the extra spiritual, the extra scrupulous, they have no value to your faith. They have no ability to accomplish anything that they promise. They are literal snake oil. Their, Their power is in an appearance only. It is entirely external. Nothing about being extra religious, extra spiritual, or extra scrupulous actually deals with your problem, which is your heart. None of these can change the heart. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Do you see what actually happens with these extras? They don't change the heart. They don't change anything deep. They are all entirely fleshy. I mean, look at verse 26. What is the product of those who are extra-religious? They cast judgment. They make you more judgy. Verse 18, what is the, the, the uh, effect of the extra-spiritual? They are puffed up with their sensuous mind. And the extra scrupulous denies, 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 but what continues to grow? Their sense of spiritual pride. And so they only become more fleshy as they commit to more and more of these extras. They do not create godliness. They create self-righteousness. Every single one of these commercials, every single one of these snake oil pitches does nothing more than make you a whitewashed tomb. And maybe that's fine for you. Maybe all that you care about is what people see. But the concern for me is God sees your heart. And the whitewashed tomb will not stand before him. It will be exposed as a den of bones and rottenness and uncleanness. And so unless your heart has been cleaned of its defilement, you can put on extra religion and extra spirituality and extra scrupulosity and you will still perish because they have no value. Second, we see they are counterproductive. Look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17, Paul says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul talks about all these extra religious elements that that want to be reincorporated, and he says, those are a shadow. Do you understand that all of those, those rules and all of those procedures and practices in the Old Testament, they were there to point to Christ, and Christ has come to fulfill them. And now that he has come and they are fulfilled The shadows have served their purpose. I love the image of a shadow and and the substance. The idea is on the plane of history, the Old Testament contained these, these shadowy outlines that were from a person standing in the future with the light cast across him. And so all of these shadows were telling us something about what Christ was going to do. He was going to be the perfect king. He was going to be the perfect prophet. He was going to be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest. And so those were the shadows we saw. And then when the light finally showed what was being illuminated, making those shadows, it's Christ. He is the substance. He is the one that fulfills all of those things. And so to go back and try to incorporate those old religious ways is to go back to the shadow when you have the substance. The extras take us backwards. I mean, imagine, this is what it really looks like on a a practical level. 
Imagine that you have two young lovers who are getting married, and they, they plan the perfect wedding, and they come and they exchange their vows, and they, 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 they are bonded together in union. Their entire life has gone to this moment of becoming married. And then at the end of that beautiful celebration, they say, well, I'll see you later. I'm going back to my parents' house. That's, that's where I live. No. The whole idea of the wedding is that you are now in a new reality. You don't go back to the shadows. You don't go back to your parents' house. You go full into marriage. You go to, the, to, to, to all that that offers. And that is the, the, the point. If we take this extra religiosity, we are taking a counterproductive backward step towards what is not going to fulfill and what is not going to satisfy. And third, these extras do not improve our faith because they are destructive. These extras, I mean, the, the way they're pitched to us is it's a little more, and more is always better. But these extras are dangerous because by the in, in, in addition of these extras, you are necessarily replacing faith alone in Christ alone with self-reliance and self-accomplishments. It now becomes that you are religious. It now becomes that you are spiritual. It now becomes that you are scrupulous that you boast in. And that separates us from Christ. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. That is the result of these extras. Is that you let go of Christ. You are not holding fast to Christ. He is no longer the ultimate source of your life and existence. Self-made spirituality is always pitted against Christ's body. Because we are always saying when we choose extra religion or extra spirituality or extra scrupulousness is that I'm, I'm better than this group of people. I don't exactly fit in this group of people. My place is at a higher plane. I am, I am struggling to, to get along with you people because I really run at a higher level. And so we are pitted against Christ's body with these extras. But the tragedy is, Christ tells us right here in verse 19 that there is no growth. There is no spiritual life when we become disconnected from Christ. Read the rest of verse 19. He is the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. As you add these extras, you pull away from Christ, you pull away from his body, and you are separated from his life. Look at the parable that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And this will show us how destructive these extras are. Jesus says in Luke 18, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, 
unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see what the extras do? The extras produce the Pharisee who stands before God proud of his extra religion, proud of his extra spirituality, proud of his extra scrupulousness. And he's in the temple of God pointing to himself as the one worthy of glory. That is where it goes. He is duped. He thinks he is close and pleasing and amazing to God. But he's a homer, not a hero. The one who comes to the temple and receives what he most needs is the one who comes as a sinner, who comes with no extras, who comes with nothing but the bare pleading, God have mercy on me. And that is the one that goes home justified. Because it is faith alone in Christ alone that saves. And any extra separates you from that sweet, freeing message. Have you cried out, I am a sinner. I can only hope in your mercy. If you haven't, I can tell you that the culprit of that is there is an extra in your heart that you believe justifies you, that you believe holds you up as fine before God. And that extra will send you to hell if you do not renounce it and cry out to God for mercy. So why don't we need extras? We've seen the snake oil. We've seen how they don't work. But why don't we need extras? Why can't we just turn our minds away from those who want to say, here's something to make your faith better. Here's something to make you closer to God. It's this, we don't need extras because Christ alone has made you free. Christ alone has made you free. This passage shows us that he alone is our hope. He alone is our life. And he alone is our freedom. Look at verses 17, the the last part of verse 17. The substance belongs to Christ. He is our hope because he is the substance. He is the reality. He is the fulfillment of every religious requirement. Everything that you need, that, that the Old Testament calls out and says, you're short here, you're short here, you're delinquent here, you need this, you need that. You fall away here and there. Everything that the Old Testament declares, and it declares a lot. Christ has come to say, I fulfilled. I completed. I finished. All that the Old Testament says you require. 
All that God requires for us is in Christ. As Paul says beautifully in Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Simply faith in Christ gives you all the confidence and all the boldness to stand before a holy God. That's an incredible thing. A holy God will say, come into my courts and receive my good pleasure because Christ has fulfilled. He is the substance. He is the hope that answers all of our needs. He is our life. Verse 19 says, Again, as we've, we've read it once before, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You want a, a greater connection? You want greater vitality in your faith? You don't, you don't want to feel alone You want a fuller knowledge of of his love and presence and work and power? Do do you want that? Is that that what you're craving? Stand up. I have something I want us to do. I know this. I've done a lot of new things in my sermon today. I don't know why, but stand up. And hold the hands of the people that are left and right of you. You're going to have to move, Ronnie. Stand and hold hands. Only hands. Listen. You are touching. You are holding the hands of Christ's body. That hand in your left and that hand in your right is a hand of a brother or sister purchased by Christ on the cross. That is a hand that has been brought to your side by the providence of God and the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. That is a real living stone in God's house you're touching. That is someone God has placed you with to grow with, to pray for, to pray with, to teach and to learn from, to forgive and be forgiven by, to see Christ in, and to be Christ too. You can sit down, but I want you to remember, that's the body. That's what God has put for you to grow in spirituality, to grow in life, to grow in Christ. Christ has welcomed you into this body. There is life here and every good thing to know him and enjoy him forever. Don't be a homer at the chocolate shop looking to amp your spirituality. Look right and look left. Christ's life is here. It is freely given. And it is abundant. And third, why we don't need extras 
It's because Christ alone is our freedom. Look again at the, the first part of verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. The assumption that Paul is writing there is not if, but since. Since with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Here's a question. Is there any good news about being dead? I mean, I know, I know, I know the Jesus answer, but I'm kind of holding off on that one. Is there any good news to being dead from, a, from a, just a, a non-religious perspective? Well, there's one. You don't have any more debts. You are debt-free the moment you die. Okay? There is no student loans. There are no credit cards. There is no mortgage that's paid by a dead guy. You are free from your debts when you are dead. You are free completely. And that is the news of the gospel. Because Christ's death cancels every spiritual and moral debt we owe. When Christ died, the debts that you had for failing spiritually or morally or ethically died and were canceled and cannot be charged against you anymore. Our debt to good works, to regulations, to scruples, to superstitions, whatever it may be, is buried and gone in his death for us. Christ has died. Our debts are paid. Christ has lived a righteous life. Our righteousness is fulfilled. When you come to Christ alone, your books are closed. You are free. But note the key word, if. You are free if with Christ you died. Paul assumes he's speaking to believers. But the word if reminds us if we do not know Christ, if we have not come to him and said, I am a sinner, have mercy on me, be my Lord and Savior, if we have not done that, we have many debts. But if we do, if we confess, Christ, I need you, then your debts are paid and canceled and you are free. Amen? Beloved, don't buy any extras to the gospel. All you need to know God and enjoy him forever is freely given you in Christ. Jesus is enough. You are free in him. Treasure your freedom. Treasure Christ alone. Amen?